Welcome to the Reproducibility Podcast Season 3, uh, an open science podcast featuring uh, early career researchers and trying to improve science. I'm Will Nyam, a postdoc from the University of Chicago, currently residing and working on the unceded lands of the Kikapu, Peoria, Miami, and Potawatomi Nations. This uh, episode's topic is a big one. It's uh, talk revolutionizing scientific publishing. And to discuss that broad topic, I'm joined by David Reinstein. Uh, David, welcome. Uh, would you like to yeah, give a brief introduction uh, of yourself? Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, my name is David Reinstein. I'm calling in from Western Massachusetts. I have a background in academic economics. I did a PhD about 20 or so years ago, 25 years ago, University of California. Did research on charitable giving and substitution, sort of trade-offs in charitable giving and other regarding behavior. Um, I was very much interested in, in using research and using principles and ideas from economics to find ways to make society, structure society better, make the world a better place. Particularly interested in sort of, I guess, something that you might say relates to a, what's now called effective altruism. How can people be the most effective with the, to the extent that they're trying to help others? And how does that interact with markets? So I got my PhD. I worked in England for about 15 years at the University of Essex and Exeter doing obviously teaching, doing research, trying not to fall too much into the game of how do I get my work published in the top journal, but there's definitely was a lot of pressure for that. And uh, I did some research which I thought was deeply interesting, but I didn't think was particularly useful. <laughs> and the, you know, I thought some part of it was useful, but the thing that was going to enable me to get it published was not the part that was useful. Right. So there was, I felt quite a bit of uh, tension there. Um, and then I tried to start moving more towards impactful things first, or at least things with the title impactful in academia. There's this impact agenda in, in the UK, but there was quite a lot of box ticking in mm -hmm. that. Um, and I, so, but I started a project called Innovations in Fundraising, trying to bring the practical insights uh, from research into how to uh, have charitable giving be more effective and, and, and do fundraising in more effective ways. Also focusing still on this question of does one contribution come at the expense of another? And also I had this project called Give If You Win, trying to leverage the idea that people might be more generous with money that they don't own yet or that, you know, that they might potentially get but don't, but don't actually have. Um, I tried to do impact in that capacity for for a while, sort of trying to both publish and produce things that were useful and effective, to, trying to work to practical field and experiments and trials. I got more involved with people from the effective altruism community, including at the Center for Effective Altruism. And then at a certain point, I basically decided to try leaving academia. Um, this was during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And... I kind of, I also was getting more involved with, with data science and I kind of felt that what I was getting out of this wasn't, wasn't, wasn't something I couldn't get elsewhere. In other words, I've, I thought that I loved, I loved preparing the, the teaching material and the ideas, but I didn't really think that the university was aligned with helping education and I didn't think the students that I was teaching, frankly, mostly really cared about the material. Um, during the pandemic, the university was playing all these games. Anyways, I'm going into too much detail, but playing all these games, right. trying to get students back into the classrooms, you know, without care. So I took a, a hiatus and I worked at an institution called the called Rethink Priorities, uh, which is basically a sort of a think tank that's connected to the movement effective altruism. Uh, I was working on their surveys and movement building team, which I kept trying to call the social science team. <laughs> uh, and I also started this project called uh, the UnJournal, which I'll get to in a moment, basically thinking, so the journal system, you know, as you talk about in your projects all the time, is broken. Academics just do nothing but whinge about it and complain about it, but really don't do anything to improve it. When you're Sitting at a at a at a at a, a table, a lunch room, or a, a pub, 
all people talk about, they, they don't talk about research. They don't talk about actual content of research. It's all about who got into what journal and yes. how you do it and, you know, what the tricks are and how unfair it is. And, um, you know, also getting involved more with open science, but the journal system makes it a bit difficult to use to sort of just publish and have evaluated uh, uh, your sort of um, transparent notebooks or, or right. um Quarto or, or, or whatever you like. So now I thought, now that I'm working outside of academia, I can actually take time and stick my neck out and take a little bit of risks. So that's why I thought, and also I noted that there's this group of people, philanthropists, mostly associated with effective altruism, who actually care about the research, or at least some parts of the results of the research. They want the, the research to be robust, reliable, reasoning, transparent, well communicated, and impactful. So I thought, hmm, maybe there's an opportunity to leverage their desire for research to be good with academics' realization that the current system is extremely ineffective and, and inefficient and sort of poorly aligned to make a change. So that's what we're trying to do. Anyways, sorry for the for the long soliloquy. No, it's good to get a bit of background on where you're coming from, especially I think things that resonate with me include the like, yeah, rethinking priorities, right? And the our discussions and our attention uh, by our, I mean, scientists and researchers uh, and academics' attention and, you know, capacity and bandwidth being basically hijacked by having yeah. to play these games yeah. and having to work within the scientific publishing systems. And so, yeah, I mean, to maybe help our listeners along, um, funnily enough, so David's in economics and I'm in psychology slash neuroscience. So we're going to discuss maybe some of the differences that appear because of the different subfields, but also we both have tried to affect change in the publishing space. So for myself, it was with the uh, Diamond Open Access Journal called the Journal for Reproducibility in Neuroscience, something that came out of um, an early career researcher effort um, and been trying to grow that slowly um, over time. But with David, uh, you've got this new the Unjournal uh, initiative, which is which I find very exciting and appealing. Thank um, you. So yeah, David, do you want to maybe explain to our listeners what the Unjournal um, actually is? Definitely, I will definitely do my best to do that. But I would say that I'm better at, and I guess maybe we're all better at writing things down and you know composing prose and and structure. So I'd say. Go If you're interested, go to unjournal.org, and we try to explain everything there at unjournal.org. Sorry for the um, plug. Maybe I can help you with a bit more of a structured question. Um, what is the like philosophy or the main mission behind the un Unjournal? All right. Well, basically, here's our, let's call it a manifesto, but my beard's not that long, so it's not, it's not necessarily that wild-eyed. <laughs> sure. Academic publishing more or less comes from yeah, publishing, printing things. Uh, but it's no longer about dissemination. So basically we all, or, or many of us at least, and I think collectively we all, can actually produce much better and host much better versions of our research than journals can. Um, and we can access all the bibliometrics and tracking. It's all fine. you know. And, and actually it's been this way for quite some time. Uh, publishing, like the but what, what we, the value of publishing or what, what it's used in is about evaluating the research and the researcher. So how much credibility should we put in the claims of this research? You know, if we want to actually use this research either as an input to other research or in actual decision making or understanding the world. Uh, and also the researcher him, their, themselves, we need some method for deciding who we as society will fund to have research careers and to do what. But this printing press-based system is not really fit for this purpose. And the punchline is to evaluate research well, just evaluate research. Don't get involved with you know, right. this whole, oh, we have to have eight. You'd never design a system with hundreds of journals with different boards and policies. You know, maybe yes. a few, but but not you know, what we have now. All right. So next point um, in social science and economics, which is what we're focusing on, including psychology, a little bit sort of policy and, and quantification, the methodologies are still being developed. And much of the work is still in the framing, the interpretation, the communication, the application and the problem solving part. So it's not that 
you know, as I would probably stereotype maybe you know, physics or chemistry, there's no simple normal science. Here's how you map a DNA science. This is a good experiment. This is a good study. This is a bad study. So we still need quantifiable evaluations, ratings, and predictions to evaluate the research in perhaps in multiple dimensions, not just the up-down vote. And that's one of the principles of what the Young Journal is doing. So, in fact, we know we're not alone in this space. There's other good initiatives in this space doing related things, but not exactly in our field. So there's Pure Community In. There's um, there's um, uh, uh, Eli. Eli, 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 something similar. Yes. Yeah. Eli's doing some good stuff. There's pre-review, which is some, somewhat related to it. What we're doing, I think, is we're kind of unique in that we're focusing on economics, quantitative social science policy and related mm-hmm. things. And I think we're also unique in that we're some of the approaches we're taking and the fact that we have funding to take these approaches seriously. So the idea is it's not just some nice thing that you'll do if you're a nice flowery person. No, we're actually trying to make it that give the idea and, and the reality that this is actually in your interest to, do, to get involved with this. Um, and it will yeah. have a meaning. So as I suggested, we asked for quantitative ratings and predictions in several dimensions. No, I had a look at the unjournal and I, so I understand. So um, just to reiterate for our audience, correct me if I'm wrong. So from what I see, um, you pick up papers that you want to evaluate and you bring in evaluators and they rate that paper on different dimensions, including things that are sort of more impact, more directly impact metrics, um, like what is the potential impact of this paper, or also what is the you know credibility or um, rigor in this paper. Yeah, that one's big. That one we emphasize is, is, is how much should I believe the things that are stated in this paper? Yes. Right. So, and the, the ratings out of zero to 100, I believe? There's or... one system of... Ra- and so this is all... We have a system we've been using for the pilot of sort of 10 papers so far, but I'm working with people who have expertise in sort of meta science to try to come up with the most useful, how many dimensions, as well as what format should that of numbers should that take? How should we elicit it? We also ask people for their something like confidence yes. intervals. How can we guess that? So just to yes and you a bit. So one, we do actually go out and. Just say, this is research that's very high profile. We're just going to have this be evaluated. We're going to inform the authors. Hopefully, the authors will engage with us, but we're not asking them for permission, at least for research and researchers that are well-established. We also are hoping and, and getting some people submitting their research to say, hey, on journal, we think this is relevant to be evaluated. And it, it's not that we only, we also, as you're saying, we, we, we ask for ratings that try to benchmark the existing journal tier reward system and hopes do better than that. And we ask for sort of predictions as well. Um, at the moment, it's pre- the two predictions we're asking is, what tier journal do you think this would publish if it was submitted to a journal? The other question, because I don't just want to replicate the failures in the existing system and I don't want this beauty contest, oh, you know, we're stuck in this bad system. I, I ask and I say this, we, we ask and I say this is more important. If the system were fair and valued things in the way that we describe here that you also value or something like that, where should mm-hmm. it publish? What or what tier, what is the equivalent tier that it should publish? Uh, so, so those are some unique things we do. Um, can, I, can I go on a little more about some of the other unique or things we're doing about the model? Yeah, please do. Please do. Yeah. What else does Don Journal do? So, like I said, we have funding. We have a pretty good grant from the Survival and Flourishing Fund that basically says we want to fund you as a project. They're not specifying our agenda. Of course, we are focusing on things, on research that has the potential for impact with a certain um, global impact, with a certain uh, sort of way of seeing that, but also not exclusively. So, But anyways, the idea is we're focusing not on maybe the most basic research, but more of the applied uh, research and applied to areas where you could say this has the potential to be among the highest priorities in the world. So, you know, not targeting the, let's say, the consumption of people in a rich country, but targeting the health of people in a poor country, for example. Um, with that funding, um, and, you know, perhaps hopefully with future funding, we are actually able to pay the what we call evaluators. We don't call them reviewers. 
um, because we're not, I'm being a bit pedantic with the words made, but we don't publish. We, we don't publish research, we evaluate research or the evaluators. So we pay, we're up to about at least $400 per evaluation, which is a lot better than the zero. Zero. That, uh, <laughs> journal today, right? Yes. Uh, and we also offer prizes both to researchers and evaluators. Um, and also, we don't just ask the event for that $400. We're not just asking the evaluators to give a set of ratings. We're also asking them to give feedback and, uh, and uh, suggestions and interpretations and, and you know, mm-hmm. to really and to really dig in to the methodology. Um, and maybe a final thing to mention about what's, you know, not unique about our model, but this combination is, I think, pretty unique. And again, the extent to which we're plowing resources into it is that we also allow you to submit research in any format. Um, Mm. It doesn't have to be a PDF. It doesn't have to fit into anything. We just say, just Mm -hmm. link your research, get a DOI for your research. It could be a dynamic document or notebook. It could involve software. It could involve expanding explanations. Because very often, I don't know for you, when I read a paper, I think, wow, they really made this so concise that I have no idea what this or that means, Mm, mm -hmm. you know, because the journal was like, or then you end up having 50 footnotes, which anyways, I'm yeah. Why? Like, it's like the classic word limit. Um, like why do top tier journals, because they see their space as very, um, exclusive, they set word limits and people have to write in a way that meets those word limits rather than write in a way that best communicates their research or best goes into the details. Right. Um, And also, you know, we have the idea of, of we have the possibility of forking paths. You can say, oh, if you want to know more about this, go here. But you don't have that possibility in journals. But I'm most interested in that sense. I'm most interested in just the code and data, you know, dynamic open notebooks Mm -hmm. thing. Anyways, those are some some parts of our model. Um, Yeah, that I I love that. Um, So like, yeah, maybe to try and provide a quick summary of what what you just described um so in the with the unjournal it's not a publishing venue it's a a structure that is um trying to evaluate the actual research so it's sort of a um yes trying to take ownership or governance over the peer review system that we have the for-profit scientific publishers running at the moment that are and they're doing it i think so the scientific publishers that is so yeah, so that's the first part. You're, you've taken sort of ownership and governance over the actual evaluation of the research. And on top of that, you've actually got funding for your structure. Um, and you've got, um, uh, you're actually using that funding to pay the evaluators. And on top of that, you've got the evaluators actually doing the rigorous evaluation that you want by giving them, making them do ratings and asking for different things and so on and so forth. Exactly. Um, that all sounds really, really great. And that's why I'm excited to chat to you more about how successful you've been and how, how, how you're trying to get this going. Yes, yes. The <laughs> challenges we're having and yeah. Can I? So um, from my perspective, um, I wanted to do something like the Unjournal. Um, and the way I thought to do it was to try and start a Diamond Open Access Journal or try and grow a Diamond Open Access Journal. And we had the same idea, like, um, okay, it's ridiculous. We have article processing charges at all these journals that are, that for what reason, I'm not sure. Um, scientists should want to publish for free. Of course, or at least make their work public for free, which, right? Right. Yeah. Yes. And then, so, yeah, exactly. So that's why we went the Diamond Open Access um, route. And we thought, okay, that should be enough incentive for researchers to want to publish with us. But of course, I thought, because in the realization was in the system that we currently have, uh, it's very hard to let go of um, the prestige metrics we have and the traditional system we have, especially when we're currently evaluated and assessed on in that manner. It's very hard to let go. Um, so um, it's really exciting to see maybe the Unjournal, you know, take a crack at that. Uh, does that. Does that sound sort of part of the philosophy for for the unjournal well like trying to good trying to shake things up trying to change yeah. what is perceived as value yes and i was hoping you were going to ask me how do we get around that the issue yes. of the collective I... action problem or collective change problem yes. because you know academics have learned a certain helplessness i think that's that you know maybe in economics it comes out of sort of overlearning the uh, prisoner's dilemma situation um, and, and, you know, we, we learn this, we have this idea that 
Yeah, this is terrible. Oh, complain, complain, complain. And you know what frustrates me more, most constant complaining without any any um, any suggestion for what to do, any willingness to do anything, or when someone suggests something to do, the uh, sort of strong this very strong doomer narrative that like oh yeah, but it's but it's never going to work. Obviously, it's in, and and that doom narrative is it's a self fulfilling prophecy. But let me try to tell a little bit better narrative and about how we, if, if you don't mind, about how we hope to bring about the sort of change that, that we're looking for. So Yeah, for sure. People were perhaps reluctant to submit to your uh, journal, the journal you started, because was if they submitted to your journal, they could they then not submit to a quote-unquote top journal in your field? Was it exclusive? Yes. So we are not exclusive. In other words... We're, because we're not publishing the work, and not the only one doing this, I mean, I know PCI and such has this, but because we're not publishing your work, you, if you submit your work to the own journal or have it evaluated by the own journal, you can, before, during, and after, submit to any of these top journals and go through this fun track of, you know, in economics, like, you know, maybe you'll get three or four rejections over several years until you finally get the paper, quote unquote, published in, in a prestige journal. But we're not getting in the way of that we're not stopping you from doing that because I don't think I could get people to, to commit at this point. Right. But I think that I can make us influential and make us, uh, I think one of your, your recent guests talked about, Zoltan Dinas talked about this in the context of registered reports, uh, show that we have a value and a predictiveness that could make that other thing ultimately obsolete. So, so some of the, you know, some of the reasons why I think we could potentially succeed at the own journal or at other initiatives that are really throwing resources into it um, is uh, the following. So one is we're leveraging these compatible interests. So we're bringing together academics who see that the system's not working philanthropists and hopefully people from government who actually value credible research, accessible research, research that they can judge in the ways that that is relevant to them, the open science agenda, the open access agenda. And these coalitions with outsiders, in my in our case, particularly funding at the moment from, from Survival and Flourishing, this can actually break the entrenched power structure bad equilibrium. You know, sort of paying people out, encouraging people out. Or how? So we have carrots. We pay people mm-hmm. to do these evaluations. And we're going to offer rewards, prizes to the most impactful research that will hopefully get the authors to want to engage with us. But everyone in this, or not everyone, typically when you bring up this space, people say, oh, it's great that you're doing that. I really uh, love that you're doing this, Dave. It's such a good thing. Or not Dave, but anyone. And I kind of bristle at that because that's like suggests that you're doing this out of the goodness of your heart but yet it's very naive and doomed to fail and anyone who jumps on this other train is really sacrificing themselves but i think we need to be a little more hard-headed about it so to replace this idea that if i don't only submit to the top journals do everything for the top journals follow the conventional things that top professors did in the past that I'm um, that I'm sacrificing myself. Uh, so we, we, you know, the, this to replace this sort of fear of falling behind with a fear of missing out, because I want to make the point. We want to make the point that there's carrots and sticks. There's costs and benefits, and we don't just want to appeal to people's idealism, but also their self-interest. So if you get your a good evaluation in the unjournal, it may have a lot of value going forward. And um, being willing to take these sort of what you might see as risks or, or uh, non-conventional paths uh, can actually set you apart in a good way as an early adopter and an innovative person. And the people who reject it will, might be later set apart as the sort of sticks that didn't come along. I'm oh, sorry, I'm using sticks in two ways here. Right. I apologize. I really, that really resonates with me. So the, like for me, it's sort of like, um, the the aphorism that I've been relying on in the podcast has been like slow boiling frogs, right? Like frogs, like if you slowly turn up the heat on the water, the frogs won't realize and they get boiled. And I really see academics, um, if they follow the traditional paths, 
mm. are just being the slow boiling frogs. Um, as individuals or as a group? In other words, like if I think the individual. At both le- levels, actually, I think. But the, the, the reason I bring this up is because uh, I really like. Um, how you are trying to like what you just mentioned was is like reshaping the narrative in a way where it's like you aren't being you aren't sacrificing um, uh, yourselves by taking this non-traditional route you're jumping out of the boiling pot of water to mm. <laughs> make make things better <laughs> to try and uh, make things better for yourself and potentially for others but if you're um, jumping out that's i mean that's a, yeah okay uh, yeah i you see the parallel. I, jumping kind of. out feels risky, though, to tell people that they're jumping out of a bo- of a pot um, of water that everyone else is in, or well, I, it's like, but then you're on your own. I right? think that's still fine in, for this analogy because it is going to take a little bit of risk. You are going to do things a little bit differently, but I think that's just part of part and parcel. Like, yeah, like embrace the change, embrace trying to. Yeah, um, I mean, your analogy things. conveys that what I would want to say is that there's risk in not changing. There's risk in just doing well. the, yes. the thing, staying in that in that boiling yes. pot. Yes. Um, a couple other things I wanted to hammer in. Uh, okay, so I mentioned the idea that we're going to try to build a track record of, so hmm. we're going to be evaluating work or, or paying people to evaluate work with these different metrics, and hopefully that's predicting later outcomes in a way that you can say, okay, well, my paper, um, it's not published in a top journal or not published yet, but it was predicted to be the equivalent of that mm-hmm. by the on journal and all other paper, or not all, but most other paper, you know, that's had a really good predictive power. Um, and another thing that I really think that might give us a leverage point is we're evaluating in economics. We have these things called working papers, mm-hmm. kind of like your preprints, but maybe earlier in the process, people put these out, boast about them, try to get seminar presentations, start submitting it to journals. We're going to evaluate, have those evaluated, at least the, the, the most prominent ones, and we're going to post those evaluations and the ratings, and we're going to give those DOIs. So if it, when you submit your paper to the top journal, it's quite likely that the reviewer for that top journal will see the unjournal evaluation, mm-hmm. which means you can't just ignore it. You can't say, oh, well, this is some hippie thing I'm going to ignore. Um, anyways, th- you know, those are some of the ways that we're trying to, to build change in addition to sort of focusing on high, sort of try to get a halo effect by focusing on research deemed serious, for being a very convenient, useful service and, and, and using prizes and reputation. Yeah, very cool. Um, one of the things that I'd like to focus on um, is uh, I like the idea that... Um, by inserting these evaluations, it may force um, scientists to reconsider what the actual value of our current academic journals are. Totally, so, um, totally. Especially in terms of taking the governance of um, evaluation away from for-profit journals. So um, for yeah. me, like, so to, to draw on an example in, um, that's more common in psychology, which is the peer community in, which we've brought up a few, few times now, uh, Zoltan Dianis make made the really good point that okay we can have this pathway to um, journals like like the unjournal does where you have the evaluation through the peer community and or the unjournal mm-hmm. and that doesn't preclude it from publishing um, it just you can even have journal uh, friendly PCI friendly journals that take that evaluation and then publish the work and disseminate it but then it changes what role or what function scientific journals have because now their role is simply publishing and maybe collating it to the correct topic or um yeah we don't so we so don't forth. need that so much i mean there's they have they have some i mean of course they have some knowledge in that area but other people do as well and it also introduces right. hurdles and you have to put it in their particular styling and formatting which is often tedious right 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 but yeah, that's that's my point. It's like, is that a valuable service or thing that we need yeah. or we want? And then so mm. pe- people start to question whether um, they want to, they really need that in their in their workflow, right? In their yeah. research workflow. I mean, to say, but cut to me, cutting out the publishers, while it's it, it's the most unfair, it feels like the most in many ways the most unfair part of the process because these publishers are getting money for nothing. You know, feels like they're getting money for nothing. Right. They're sucking value out. Um, but I don't think actually that's the most, at least, and, and I think we, we've talked about how things are a bit different in psychology and economics, mm-hmm. but at least in economics, I don't think that's the most 
costly part of our current system. It certainly is costly and wasteful. And, you know, maybe it costs, I've looked at some numbers, maybe it costs, you know, something like uh, $1,000 per researcher per university per year or something like that to have those subscription access. That's probably an upper end. I would guess, you know, it's wasted money in a certain sense. But, and it also, you know, yes, also there's the open access issue. It also means, you know, when they are having to charge for something, whenever you're charging for an information good, there's a deadweight loss because people are like, oh, I'm not going to download it. It's $5 or $20. It's not like it costs a society anything for them to download it. But what, right. but what, I, what I like to, and I'm not trying to hijack the, the conversation, but what I like to emphasize is that I see the value of things like the UnJournal and basically evaluating hosted research, publicly evaluating hosted research instead of the current system. I see really strong value in the Innovative, for, innovative formats that I've talked about that or that mm-hmm. we mentioned. And also, when you're writing papers, like now you have to get those paper points. And if you realize, oh, you know what? I could make this, this paper a lot better. I did something wrong. I did something a lot better. What, what am I going to do? I have to try to claim it's a new paper and publish it to get more points. You can't just improve it. I want you to be able to just improve it in one place. And these are big questions we're answering. You're, you know, you're not going to be able to answer 40 huge questions about society per year. Right, right. But also, we got the formats. We can improve formats, make the literature less cluttered. So you don't have these 40 papers trying to claim value. You just have like, here's where I'm working on this topic. And you iterate your your project exactly. and your... Exactly. And then the other big gains, I know I'm trying to shoehorn everything in here. The other big gains is <laughs> the public thing you're trying to do. <laughs> well, not just me, others. Yes. Public yes. evaluation, you know, that that yields an even bigger value, I think. Uh, I mean, how great would it be, have been as a PhD student, to be able to read critiques of the papers that, you know, that that you can't, it's all black. Yeah, the open, uh, the open, transparent peer evaluate, peer review, or in your case, the evaluation makes yeah, a lot of sense to me as the, well. The terminology. Yeah, yeah. And um, also, like, if people are actually using this research, um, they want to, they, they probably often don't care about the things that people in the particular field of personality psychology or, mm. you know, t- or um, uh, labor economics care about. They care about one aspect. Can I believe this result? Mm-hmm. And we're going to be trying to give. And also, I, I've talked to, to journalists like uh, Iglesias, our name dropping. Uh, he's saying, like, we, I read these NBEAR papers and they really seem to be influential, but I don't know whether to believe them or not because it takes years until you find anything out. And all you find out is what journal it published in, right? That's our measure of value and credibility of research, mm-hmm. what journal it published in. And if you know much about like the different fields, there's these big gaps between the journals. Like if I don't get into one of the top five, then all of a sudden I'm in a much lower You're in a lower state. tier, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Did it just barely make it? Was the guy up for yeah. tenure? Was the guy friends with the journal editor? You don't know. It's different for all people. You, you don't know which people think which tier yeah. and like what the gaps between the tiers are. And so, yeah, so, yeah. it's yeah. all mismatched. Um, and then the one final thing that I want to, 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 to say that I think is actually the biggest gain, at least in my field for my impression as, as somebody who's a researcher is, who's, who's been a researcher, is... We need to realign incentives for researchers to do and improve good research. And right now, you're spending a whole amount, a lot of time, what they call journal shopping and editor shopping um, and doing all sort of strategiums to try to get yourself, you know, you don't, you might not want to share your data because, oh, it's going to be years till I can publish this. Someone might scoop me. Um, and I spend all this time waiting. It's also a lot of real risk to my career. I spent all this time waiting for this big publication to be accepted. Before then, even if I get three, you know, two good eval- two good reviews, the editor rejects me. I got nothing. Um, right. So I think we spent, researchers, at least in economics, spent a huge amount of their time playing these games and just trying to get to the top rather than actually improve their research. And I think reclaiming that could, you know, that would be the biggest gain of evaluation right off the bat. Yeah, it's very interesting. So like, yeah, that resonates with me too. So in the sense that um, different people can take, let's say, a riskier strategy by going for higher tier journals and letting it filter down through the lower tier journals if they don't make it in the high tier journals, but they still take a shot. Right. So for example, they go for nature science and then in my field, 
drop down to psychology, uh, psych science, or um, yeah. and then keep dropping down into whatever journal of experiment. But it's so it's the goal isn't to be published and evaluated um, accurately. The goal is to just game the system and try publishing a more high prestige, high tier journal. Yeah. And you know, knowing full well that it'll eventually get published somewhere or eventually stick. Um, and that doesn't seem to be the right way or the best way to um, have science disseminated and organized. No, it's certainly not. It's certainly not. And you're trying to cater to, I think, the, the people in this, the people who review for this journal tend to like this. Okay, that's that's improving my research. And it surreptitiously mm. actually claims part of your brain because you no longer, you know, I'm obviously speculating wildly. I don't have a body of research on this, but you no longer get feel people start to no longer feel about that their value that their mission is answering right. questions building science you know uh producing knowledge they start to think and get reward from the idea of these these pings oh i got i got this journal i got this journal my paper landed in this journal my paper found a good home right i mean who's who's the supposed to be the consumer of this you're supposed to be writing research or doing research that has a use, right? It's not supposed to be that the consumer of the research is the professor right. who gets a publication and therefore gets a promotion. What kind of system? Anyways. No, that makes sense. Like you don't want, so I like I like the idea that it, this, it's like hijacked. I've been thinking about this more. Mm. Um, so so to sort of broaden, broaden the, um, to broaden what I'm describing, by playing in this system, um, attention is being hijacked away from the things that I think scientists want to do. So I think most people go into science or economics and psychology, they have specific disciplines to answer specific questions or to have to grow understanding of something in the world. Yes. Yes. Their goal is the world. Yes. They have to help the world, to impact the world, and so on and so forth. But their goal becomes hijacked by being in this yeah. publish or perish incentive system. So then yes. their attention is being drawn by where can I get this work published um, at a high enough tier so I build a portfolio to have a livelihood to get that postdoc job, to get that ten to get yeah. tenure and so on and so forth. So yeah. they in fact I think trying to separate yourself from such a system is actually regaining attention to yes. doing research yes. what you think is impactful and that has a mission of um, aligned with it rather than simply producing, um, uh, collecting, let's say, publications Points. or collecting, yeah. P- yeah, collecting significant p-values. That, wouldn't, it be, <laughs> yeah. wouldn't it be great to be, I mean, I imagined academia as a kid. I don't know, how, how did you imagine academia as a kid? <laughs> I imagined it as this, you know, these, these beard, you know, sorry, it's sexist, these beard guys, going around and talking about big ideas and they're walking on their campuses with their tweed jackets and uh it's just being this this privileged place where you talked about the deep ideas yeah great theories come from great men model of science maybe but in a way like coons thomas coons like um paradigm shift model where someone has to come along and shift the paradigm and that's how science um moves forward or whatever but it wasn't but, yeah. but it wasn't people trying to collect h index you know trying to build their h index and and whining about how unfair it is that so and so was published in the journal of management science or something like that <laughs> sure uh yeah it's like they weren't yeah um one of my favorite people ever is uh paul Faharaben. he's a philosopher and but him in combination with uh a guy called emre lakatos they're both philosophers hmm. and um one of the one of their legacies is their discussion because um, you know Paul Feyerabend was very much against this against method is the title of his like book um, where it's like science doesn't follow this like logical rational agenda like there's no magic juice that makes science like you know perfectly truthful creating in the, in a sense where Lakatos was defending that position and 
you know, they wrote letters to each other. They that's how they communicated. They they mm. weren't discussing can we get our papers or our right. ideas. What are to these letters? In... What are these letters getting us? Right. We're yeah, not. We yeah. should. These letters they... should be part of a some journal series. Right. Right. Oh, the the this these letters only have value if they're seen or if they're published in the top prestige journals. No, they were <laughs> they were writing letters to each other to no. discuss and debate, and that's how they you know try to gain understanding and move forward. That's what I wanted to see. I want to see a yeah. bit more, you know, yeah. a bit more collaboration, yeah. a bit more discussing with that right mission, right? Um, yeah, so it's, again, like, coming back, you're, you're, you're spot on with the, like, it seems like by subsisting in these systems, we're just letting our attention and our time and our livelihoods be hijacked by this yeah. inefficient system. Yeah, and these, these reward, we build this, we, we have to motivate ourselves throughout our lives. We try to motivate ourselves to not just eat the cookie right away. We have to motivate ourselves these different things to do our homework. And we have to encourage ourselves to have this reinforcement of, of rewards. And, you know, on, on the social media, that hijacks it with the, with the stars yes. and the likes. And I think it's also been... I sorry, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here. No, go for it. Uh, Actually, I'm just saying that it's been it's been hijacked by things like H index and in our brains yes. and that crowds out the the curiosity. I think, yeah, I think this is a good segment. So in our podcast episodes, we usually have a spill the tea segment where we allow people to sort of air mm. their grievances or you know it could be positive air something that yeah. they really want yeah. people to hear. Um, but I think you and I share the same grievance here, which is that. Um, uh the our attention is being hijacked by these systems like you know we know our attention is being hijacked by likes and retweets on twitter and trying True. to be the most controversial person or actor every twitter that shouldn't be what our mission in science is about no. and i think people share that feeling but again they don't do anything about it <laughs> they don't they don't try and they say oh it's a good idea and they keep turning and to the same system or when you the give thing. them the opportunity to do something about it they they you know they tend to chicken out that's that's the sad it made, made me think of the movie i don't know if you ever saw the movie it's old school movie high noon <laughs> yeah 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 where the guys trying to like this like two guys that are really tough guys that are coming back to seek their revenge and he's got a whole town and he can't get a posse together right because everyone says, yeah, but no one else is going to sign up for this. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea, but, you know, yeah. It's um, never going to work. It's never going to work. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, what, what do you think? What, how, how, like, I, I, you've talked about, like, how the Unjournal puts those carrots, those incentives um, in a way. But what do you think, like, how does this fit into to, your yeah. theory of change and your, yeah, your, how you motivate um, people to actually, you know, invest? When you say this, what's the this? How does the which part fit into my quote theory? Like how, how, like I, I, so with the unjournal, yeah, they have incentives like, um, you know, evaluators get paid, um, mm -hmm. best, uh, most impactful evaluated paper, you know, has a prize or a award. Right, so right, 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 right. I just want to, I want to get more into the sort of um, theory mm -hmm. of change. Like, how does this fit into your whole? Like how right. does this how, how are eventuate? we going to change the system? How are we going to change the system? I mean, right. I talked about how uh, credible, quantified evaluations could become like the dollar bills that we mm -hmm. now use to represent gold, right? So that right, sure. the, but that's that's one aspect of it. But you know, and you'll also have to get institutions to ultimately at some point say we will accept these dollar bills instead of having everyone has right. to come in with their journals gold. Um, but so in the in the sort of uh, in the n let's say next year, what I'm hoping to do with the unjournal, um, so I we have a it, there's two things that you could call a theory of change. So if you go to our page one, you'll see like the theory of change towards the ultimate good. Mm -hmm. In other words, what is the unjournal trying to do to achieve good in society, at least w from one perspective? You know, better policy, better, more informed policymakers, et cetera, better outcomes. We also have the idea of we have this path over the next 18 months. We want to build awareness. I want not everyone maybe, but at least relevant people should know what the UnJournal is. What is our model? What do we do and why? Mm -hmm. So, you know, they would pass a quiz on the UnJournal. I don't know. And who are relevant people? Well, we, we can discuss. I mean, there's there's fields. There's, there's, there's people who are, uh, what is it called? Gate, gatekeepers or kingmakers or... Uh, there's 
people who are in charge of yeah assigning value, um, participating. So build awareness, build credibility. So I want us to be doing and having a reputation for producing insightful, well-informed evaluations, effective curation and aggregation of these, and the quality, have some way of benchmarking the quality of our work. How predictive is it? When I say our work, I mean the evaluator's work. And then to expand our scope and scale to maybe 70 papers over the next 18 months. Um, in other words, to be a presence that people can't, uh, can't and, and hopefully won't um, ignore. Uh, cool. And then, you know, it's all building credibility is going to be, it's going to be an important step. Obviously, this, this is maybe too obvious, but having people with influence and reputation and prestige climb aboard in some sense. Yeah. If I, I think I'm at, like thinking at a higher level, I suppose, in terms of the network where like one, like one worry, I've been involved in many, many initiatives in trying to affect change in open science and it sometimes feels like not enough. So like, for example, you put out, say, 70 papers with 18 months, it might not be enough to create a critical mass. So I wanted to raise mm. that a little bit and raise it up to a higher level where if you think about science as more of a network between fields and between individual nodes, like let's say it could be the institutions are the nodes or the people are the nodes, um, it's really hard to get that behavior to be contagious across the entire network. Um, what you need is like a lot of distributed change and a lot of things happening um, and uh, 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 for the structure to have a way to actually change, right? Like to allow the structures to, rather than stay rigid, allow them to actually be flexible and to have create more connections or mm. to you know prune. And for mm -hmm. example, mm -hmm. like that, does that make sense? So to me, I think it's like you need to like have a lot of people invested in the change and have community behind it and have a real critical mm. mass cause the push to cause the contagion to spread. Is, yeah. Critical, I mean, critical mass is important. Role models is important because there is so much followerism and sort of authorityism in, in, in academia, especially in economics. Um, I think, I mean, I tend to think in terms of incentives. So what are we trying to get people to do? We're trying to get people to do evaluations for the own journal, to submit their work to the own journal, to notice it, and then ultimately steps like a university department considers on journal evaluations as part of its uh, tenure process or hiring or process. Yeah. Uh, but also on the other side, policymakers are citing uh, the the rating in the own journal as evidence of okay, we can put put confidence in this uh, mm -hmm. in this uh, research or or, uh, or paper. How to get to that point? I mean, I think I, I sort of maybe I'm naive, but I think if you provide value and incentives, that people will just at some point start to do that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm you, a little bit more skeptical. Like, I, like I I appreciate that's a necessary ingredient, but I feel like there's you've got to come at it in a multi pronged, multi faceted way. So rather than just put incentives in front of people mm -hmm. you've also got to like give them maybe uh the this is maybe in terms of psychology terms <laughs> extrinsic versus intrinsic motivations right like the incentives are extrinsic and, yeah, yeah. yeah you've got to make sure it's like part of their mission and their meaning and i think community is really important yeah. in pushing this drive and like saying hey um let's and i actually think you know um our discussion before is trying to recapture those intrinsic motivations. Like, hey, your attention yeah, is being yeah. destroyed, not destroyed, is being captured no. by these published or perish incentive systems and the traditional publication metrics and so on and so forth. Right, right. What you actually want to think about or what you actually want to attend is, you know, the research and the science and the impact you might have. I think that's the, that's the easy lifting. I mean, I think people are already convinced I, mean, I think we all kind of agree that we're <clears throat> in this in this crappy equilibrium, and this other one is a lot better. I mean, you know, I think I think that yeah. So I think that that has been emphasized a lot, and we should continue to emphasize it. That's our superpower. But we also need to be a little bit hard, more hard headed with incentives and sort of 
reward and punishment. I don't know. That, that sounds a bit weird to say punishment, but you, you know what I'm saying, right? Like I should, I should, if we are supporting open science and want to support change, we should reward people who do those things and not reward people who do the standard practice or who reinforce entrenched, inefficient, you know, followership systems. Yeah, I, I guess pushing back on you a little bit, like I Go think ahead. there's more, maybe maybe this is more the anarchist streak of me, but I think there's just more chaos in the system than, than being able to shift people's, shift from one equilibrium to another via just a... Um, placing the right carrots in the right place. Um, I think we, I think about like, let's say taking an example from chemistry where to get a reaction to happen, you might need to provide a catalyst, right? That lowers the activation energy. So mm -hmm. I don't see incentives as being the thing that look that I don't see incentives as the catalyst, right? I see incentives mm. as the end goal. Um, you see but like it an outrage moment as the right. catalyst. Maybe. Well, <laughs> I think a lot of people <laughs> might be frustrated at the system over like across the career and not do anything about it. So I actually don't see... so many outrage. outrage moments, though. I mean, it's just go to Twitter. It's, con it's a right. constant, constant slow burn of outrage moments of how unfair this is, that is. Right. So you I need a call to action. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, people need so... to be like, this is something I can do about it. Right. Um, to take them out of their... Yeah, so that's why I sort of stress the sort of community. Like the community part of, to me, is the aspect that could catalyze all of this. Like if you can get people to listen to each other and be open to other perspectives and then get them to um, agree on the mission, then that's going to catalyze these actions. In I mean, I addition think we're dealing with incentives. cultural, we're dealing with a bit of a cultural difference here. I mean, things like community, I think if you push that so much in, let's say, business schools and economics departments, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, I see what this is. This is one of those community things. I'm using the, the scare quotes <laughs> that, you know, that they're going to say A, but it's not going to help me. And in fact, if they say, you know, this is what we want you to do, I know that, like, that's what I don't want to do. Because there's, there's, like, in economics, there's so much... People go and choose to go into economics because they really like these hard-headed ideas that the that no good deed goes unpunished. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe that stuff might that discussion might work better in psychology or 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 other fields, maybe, maybe even in physical science. I oh. I mm -hmm. okay. I'm going to stereotype neuroscience <laughs> as a field. Go for it. Um, <laughs> but so I like yeah. So I guess thinking about so so the reason i bring up neuroscience is that um there's sort of this stereotype i guess or this myth where like if you don't do specific methods you're not actually doing proper neuroscience mm. like for example uh, i do eeg which is measuring human brain waves outside the scalp and then a neuroscientist might come along and be like, well, that's superfluous. Like, you're not actually measuring the cells in the brain. Or you're not doing any, like, um, you know, let's say, patch clamping, staining, all this stuff. And then, you know, um, you just dismiss the research. And I feel like that's the reason I bring that up is, well, a more perhaps better approach is having the community built where it's um, openness across methods and openness across disciplines and then so drawing that parallel to um, academic publishing or whatever, it's sort of like, hey, you should be open to buy ideas and you should accept that we have the same mission. We want to figure out what's going on in the brain for neuroscience or for scientists. We want to figure out how to make science better and we want to publish better. That's what I sort of mean by like building that community, like having an openness to change and being able to embrace an openness to others' ideas that allow you to then create initiatives and push forward with things. Like, for example, to get people to join up to the UnJournal and sign up as wanting to be evaluators or so on and so forth, rather than simply saying, hey, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna be, um, you're going to get paid to do this evaluation. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to frame what you said so to help myself understand it. So you're saying that in neuroscience, there are these gr great disagreements about methodologies. And there's maybe I wouldn't different say camps that, and people fall I wouldn't into say they're great disagreements. No. I think there's uh, more sort of like, it's like an easy dismissal. Like they don't, 
they're very familiar with their technique yeah. and what their technique can produce and bring and the noise, but there's not real, they're not really going to um, take something that's unfamiliar to them uh, and just receive it. Or, and in fact, they'll, most of them might even dismiss it. That's yeah. Uh, that's that's right. That, I mean, not, not that that's right. That's that I can see that happening in economics as well. You know, let's say someone's trying to bring something in from psychometrics. People are going to say, "I don't understand this. Just just take the average, or just you know, show me a linear regression." But right. where? So, so, but I didn't understand where you're you're going with that. And also, so we're we're discussing how to get people, or how to get feels like the wrong word. How to change the system to, to have people willing to to contribute to new systems and participate in new and better systems. Mm-hmm. And um, you're saying that uh, an appeal to their intrinsic values, an appeal to their ideals, and an appeal to their sense of community are strong, they're uh, important ways of, or important ingredients to achieving this I, sort of change i believe so i believe so i would and i like i like the idea of those uh important ingredients being the catalysts so they're the ones that are going to speed the change that you're that we're both trying to create like they're they're going to make that activation energy lower for the reaction to happen sorry i'm relying on chemistry i don't know why no that's but, okay the compliment <laughs> complementarity in 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 the in the function of some sort right Right, right, exactly. So, and then uh, with the incentives alone, let's say you might have a lower rate of change with yeah. just community and driving intri- intrinsic uh, um, ideals. Uh, that's also going to maybe pre- create a low rate of change. But together, with as catalysts for each other, I suppose um, we're going to have increasing differences, rate of whatever you want to say. Yeah, I think that's. Yes. I think that's probably true. Some people claim that one crowds out the other. I haven't seen a lot of strong evidence for that. Uh, I mean, I've seen evidence for it from the sort of uh, what's the, what's it called, the pre-replicability crisis uh, yes, literature. Yes. But, so yeah, I, I think those things are complementary. I just think, and 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 that at least from the point of view of economics, business, and maybe political science and policy, I'm popping a lot of good thing. I have a screen here um, <laughs> that. That the motivation part has the the intrinsic appealing to communitarian intrinsic incentives part may have been relatively overemphasized and and the incentives underemphasized in this area. Interesting, interesting appeal. I like to I'd like to uh, agree with you because I mean I what I what I mean is I I value your opinion because you have been in parts of like be involved in movements like effective altruism, which <laughs> exactly grapples with these kinds of forces. So it's it's interesting to think, oh, you think um, incentives need a larger stake in the, you know, in the change, in the, in I the mean, I think mission for change. Idealist, because, uh, now, 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 now I'm armchair theorizing here, but... Because the people who favor these changes tend to be the most idealistic and community and, and big thinking people themselves, maybe they overweight mm-hmm. how much other people are, are driven by those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That could be, that's, that's fair. So let, let me just, let me spill a little more like very specific concentrated tea, <laughs> which, is, which is about how people have this tendency to give advice. Well, you, let me just tell the story. So, and maybe the conclusion becomes apparent. I had, this, I actually did have this dream that I was in this skating rink. It was an ice skating or roller skating rink. And it was a skating rink where we were being oppressed by the people outside the rink. And we wanted to get out of the rink, but it was really crowded. We wanted to escape from the rink. The only way to do this was you had to bring, collect tools from the north side of the rink, skate back to the south side of the rink, and build this structure for yourself, which was some sort of ladder or something like that. So you needed to build this escape vehicle. You had to keep going back and forth. But the problem was so many people in the rink, and there was no order. There was no traffic, right? We were not skating counterclockwise. We are not skating clockwise. We didn't have lanes. You were just bumping into people, and people would push past you, fall over. You have to push past them if you want to get by. 
it was very difficult to make progress on this building task. And as you were doing it, the, the parts were starting to deteriorate. So it was, it was Sisyphus and, in some sense. Okay, now, all of a sudden, this one person gets the conch. They get the megaphone. You got out of it. You got a megaphone and you're on a platform. You know, you're, you're, you're a super blue check guy or something. Right. So then the person gets on the microphone. You could, they can say, now let's all skate clockwise. Um, which, which I think they did. And if you guys, did you, if you ever went to those rinks, then they would switch it every once in a while for people who don't like skating clockwise, whatever. <laughs> yeah, which would presumably allow us to get stuff done and get out of the rink. Or, and this, or you could call on the microphone and say, okay, listen, you need to push people out of your way. If you want to push people out of your way, you need to push with both hands, throw them down, then you can get past them and get to the other side faster. Uh, it'll really throw them off their balance. And I see a lot of people giving that sort of advice on the internet and sort of advice to graduate students on, you know, how to make it. And I think, so that's, that's my tea, extra tea spilling. Basically, the, the idea is when we have the opportunity to coordinate, let's coordinate on something good. And when you're giving advice to people, there's no point in giving advice to people in a zero-sum game, or at least you're not helping humanity by doing that. Um, and I think moving more towards one, one way that might help us move towards better systems and solve things is for people to, to take that approach and think, okay, I'm going to try to give a sort of, I'm going to use my uh, megaphone to try to give useful directions that helps us coordinate on something better. Yeah. I mean, that's great. Use your power to try and affect positive change rather than give the same old broken, broken advice. Um, yeah. I mean, we like to end our episodes on, um, like a bit of advice for an early career researcher and audience. And I think this, this story of yours kind of does provide them, um, uh, that sort of perspective. Yeah. Is there something, is there maybe a piece of advice you'd like to give early career researchers that you think yeah, push over this. the other research, <laughs> steal their research, <laughs> and submit it to the top journals, and you know, make sure to present. No, uh, what advice would I give to early career researchers? I mean, one thing that that I give as advice, and I don't know if this pertains to researchers in all fields, but there's a lot as for PhD students, because we're in the system where there's the publisher parish and the professors want need to get these publications out. There's often a lot of pressure to do some research that's not impactful, not interesting, and maybe most, or maybe not interesting, maybe most importantly, does not help you build your skills as a researcher. But the professor you're working for or whoever thinks this will, quote unquote, publish well. And of course, their incentive to advise you is not completely, their incentive is not completely aligned with yours. And I think you want to avoid doing research or focusing your research on something that's going to involve that won't allow you to build your skills capabilities and and understanding of of the research field so don't spend two years cleaning a data set for instance at least not as a phd student spend two years you know maybe apprenticing trying and applying really challenging techniques and trying to understand them yeah so for, for me, from my perspective, be pragmatic. You know, you are in the system, realize that, but also mm. aim to grow, aim yeah. to get those skills, aim to try and develop. Um, and yeah, try to aim a little bit higher rather than just simply getting to, towards that paper. And the, and okay, I'm, I'm adding a second thing, but this, this is <laughs> Feel related free. to that, which, which is that the advice that you're getting is backwards looking. It's not telling you what's necessarily going to allow you to succeed in the future in academia or outside of academia where those skills might be highly valuable. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay. That, I mean, that's, All right. a, that's a great, a great way to, to end. Um, do you want to sort of some shout outs, maybe tell people where they can find you or oh, maybe yeah, some calls to great. action? That would be great. And yeah, thanks. Sorry if I was giving a lot of sermons here. Hopefully it I mean, it, it, it helped uh, more on the, the intrinsic motivation <laughs> stuff. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, so I guess the, the things I'd, I'd like to, to suggest is go to unjournal.org. Um, let me take a look at it. Let me know what you think. And there's opportunities for getting involved. Um, we're focusing, as I said, on economic, social science, policy, qu quantitative social science, other quantitative things having to do with humans, focusing on something that are, is relevant. Well, I already made the spiel. Relevant to, to global impact could involve... Sure. Could involve poverty, could involve health, could involve survival and catastrophic risks, could involve animals, could involve the production of knowledge. There's ways you can get involved. Um, maybe we'll share some links. Uh, Bitly, UJ Work, where we have some positions. You'll also see that on the on the unjournal.org. So we're going to be doing some hiring. We have some specific tasks we're hoping to hire people to do or to pay people to do this research idea of helping us identify what might be the most very impactful veins of research requiring more open and careful evaluation. And um, we're, as I said, we're also hiring for communicate. We're trying to hire people to help us with communication and writing a bit on the research side. We're trying to expand our advisory board and what we're calling the uh, field specialists to also to help us identify and, and figure out what how to prioritize research. And you can also follow our updates at bit.ly slash UJ updates, UJ Unjournal. Cool. Um, any on top of the Unjournal, if anyone wants to follow you or uh, contact, oh, right. di directly message you, is that where? <laughs> Sorry, I the... forgot that some of the most important plugs, my bad. So I'm just <laughs> David Reinstein. Uh, you can email theunjournal at gmail.com or d-a-a-r-o-n-r at gmail.com. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter and the other stuff like uh, the M thing, Mastodon, Mastodon. Uh, giving tools. G giving, we know how to spell that. Tools, we know how to spell that. Show those together. We'll probably get unjournal social media accounts, but we don't have them just yet. Great. Uh, yeah, thank you for, for coming. I hope the listeners got something out of that. I thought pretty fun discussion. I, I thought so too. And, and yeah, thanks for taking the time, William. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, of course. <laughs>